What would life look like if our good intentions were inspired enough, empowered enough, and challenged enough so that all those dreams became real, tangible good in the world? On Practice Good Podcast, you will find authentic stories, challenging conversations, and real responses that will inspire, empower, and challenge your social impact journey. But this isn't all. Good business and good programs and good social enterprise are only as good as the health of their leader. And on this podcast, we will pay special attention, not only to the good that we give to the world, but to the good that we live within ourselves, our soul care. Welcome to Practice Good, a podcast for changemakers. I'm your host, Shiloh Kashima, practitioner of good, pastor, and mom of two spicy Nigerian littles. Get ready as we turn your good intentions into positive change. All right. Good morning. I am so excited to introduce you guys to someone I met a few years ago, actually, and um, she is here. Megan Chance is here to tell us a little bit about her passion between the intersection of faith and feminism. Hi, Megan. Welcome to the podcast. Oh, thank you so much for having me. Like Shiloh said, my name is Megan. I am very passionate about faith and feminism. I host a podcast called Faith and Feminism. And I also have a book coming out soon, March 23rd, kind of about the topic. So I am a podcaster, a soon-to-be author, and I'm really passionate about uh, reclaiming feminism for the Christian faith. Ooh, I love that. I cannot wait to hear more. I know I have been like listening to your podcast and you have so many good topics that really span so many different topics in regards to feminism. And man, I feel like it's it's like a university library in your podcast. <laughs> <laughs> like if people want to dig into any concept or topic regarding feminism and Christianity, I mean, it's in there. <laughs> it's yeah. <really> <laughs> There's well, really unlimited topics. Like I, I've like you, there's so much there. I love it. I was seeing things, you know, uh, about women in leadership in the church, everything mm-hmm. from abuse to, you know, all the way to like black lives matter and mm-hmm. diversity gaps and these types of things. I like so good girls education, so much good stuff, so much good stuff. So I'm, I'm just going to put a little plug out there if anybody's listening. <laughs> this is an awesome freaking podcast. You guys would love it. Um, Megan, what what made you start this? What got you passionate about this? You know, usually it's rooted in something. So where did it stem from? Yeah. Um, so it's really interesting. Like I get asked this question a lot. And I think if I'm being really honest with myself, it probably started in childhood when um, as like a little girl, I've always been very um, competitive and yeah, just competitive. <laughs> and so when I was a little girl, I wanted to play sports with like the boys and I just didn't understand. I think that's the first time I realized I was a, a girl was when I was told I couldn't do something because of my sex. Mm. And so I think that was like the seed as like, even at the age of five or however old I was, I recognized that that was injustice. And yeah. so I grew up in the conservative church, um, conservative evangelical church specifically. And 
was basically raised to believe that women were subservient and that their purpose in life was to serve um, their partners, um, their husbands, and that like my only role was to basically be a housewife and and that didn't sit well with me because I felt like when they described these stories, it didn't match. First of all, it didn't match <laughs> what I saw women being like outside of the world, like, you know, teachers right. or um, politicians um, or doctors. But on top of that, it just didn't even feel representative of what I had seen of women in the Bible. So if we're talking about women like Deborah um, or, you know, I could go on all day, hold up, Shipra, Pua, Mary Magdalene, like all of these women, um, definitely like a lot of them didn't even have husbands um, or they're not mentioned in the text. And so that's like, oh, that seems a little incomplete if this is my whole purpose. And so being the good Christian girl I was, um, I, I was, I just tried to go along with it, even though something to me like felt like it was wrong, but I wanted to be accepted in love. So I just said, okay, I'll be this if this is what you want me to be. Wow. And I grew up, um, I became, a, I went to college, um, got a degree in journalism, graduated a year early, did not know what to do with my life, um, and felt God calling me to do some missions work. And when I went on the mission field, which by the way, I have done a lot of deconstruction about white saviorism and what I was yep. taught, but, yep. um, that was what exposed me to um, the injustice that so many women were experiencing. So specifically, I had so many women um, tell me, or girls, um, I was in, I was all over the world, but in Africa, I had um, women tell me, or girls tell me that they didn't, they couldn't get an education, that they were being raped, that they were experiencing female genital mutilation. Um, and so that like kind of started getting me like, okay, um, this isn't, this isn't right. This isn't fair. Um, where are they getting these ideas? Like where, how, how, how is it okay to like deny girls education and to mutilate them? And then as I kept working, I also got the opportunity to work with, um, sexually exploited women and girls, women who had been trafficked in India, um, and in Nepal. And then I, and then I ended up, um, in Southeast Asia, working specifically with sexually exploited women. Wow. And um, through working with these women, I just had my eyes completely opened to, to the injustice that was happening to them. But more so, I had this realization specifically. Um, there was one night where um, I was partnering with a ministry that took uh, – women out of the sex trade and put them all the way through college. Um, and then they also were able to provide for some of their dependents because a lot of women specifically in Southeast Asia are forced into the sex trade because they have no other options for income. And oftentimes they're relied on as the primary breadwinners for the family. But a lot of these women were denied education or um, simply just cannot find a job. And so they are, they end up in the sex trade. And so I partnered with an organization that took them um, or gave them the opportunity to get their college degree and also provide for their dependents while they did it. Cause that's a huge barrier yeah. um, for them getting out. And I was talking to a woman w one night and it was her first night in the bars. And um, as I was talking to her, she seemed like she, she was really interested in, in what the ministry had to offer. But as I was talking to her, these um, six drunk men came up 
to us. And usually these women are displayed on a stage. It's, it is very much like a cattle auction. They're in little um, and very little clothing and, and people watch them and uh, shine a laser on the girl that they want. And then they yeah. pay a bar fine and they take her. Um, but so I had already started talking to her. So it was very odd that they had come to try and take her. And so as I, she was kind of frozen, it was her first night there. And, um, I said, you don't have to go with them. And she's like, I don't want to. And so she told them no. And I told them no. And these guys were getting very angry and tried like to physically grab her and remove her. And it it just ended up getting very tense. And eventually what I did is I just pulled out a wad of cash so I could purchase her for the night, which I felt really torn about because I didn't want to support the sex trade, obviously, but um, I was trying to get her, she didn't want to go with them and I didn't know what else to do. And um, so she's like, so we paid for her and she's like, okay, I'm going to, thank you. I'm going to go home to my um, child. And she's like, I need to check with my bar manager to like make this my first night. I want to like not get in trouble. And so she went to check with her bar manager and tell her that she was leaving for the night and her bar manager told her to go with those men. And so I was upset. Me and my friend were upset. And so we ran out and argued with these men and eventually won our argument um, after a very heated argument uh, that she was able to go home for the night. But in their anger, these drunk men who became basically belligerent and just pulled off another girl off the stage. And um, I remember feeling in that moment that I had just made the situation worse. I watched that woman walk away with those six angry drunk men looking back at us in just terror. And I felt like I had made the situation worse. And I felt so hopeless because you can help one person, but they're so quickly replaced. And it was in that moment that I realized that we really needed to fight the demand. And no one talks about the demand. We talk about um, quote unquote women's issues, right? We talk about women being one third of American women are sexually assaulted or physically assaulted. Um, One in five between one and six are raped um, in the United States. And, And we have these statistics and we have all of these ways that women are supposed to protect themselves to prevent this, but we're never talking about who's actually raping women or sexually assaulting them or buying them. And um, I, in my experience, I talked to a lot of men who purchased women. It's just everyday normal guys. And I started asking the question, what drives the demand? What makes it so that men are harming women and women are being harmed. What gender roles do we have in place? And, and realized when we got down to it, and there's so much research to back this up, I can mention several researchers, but um, sexual assault and sexual violence and any kind of violence is actually just about control. It's actually not about sexual urges. And so when I realized that, that it was about control and dominance, I started reflecting on the scripts that I was given in my conservative evangelical background of women shouldn't teach or preach or lead, um, that women weren't capable of taking care of themselves, that they needed to be protected. But couldn't they see that the women, you know, quote unquote, needed to be protected, but who, who did they need to be protected from? Most often it was their protectors. If we look at the statistics, who is harming women? It's often uh, fathers, uh, partners, 
boyfriends, husbands. Um, And so I, I just had this realization that we, we can't make a difference until we address the inequality that causes this abuse in the first place. And I looked at the complicity of my own faith tradition that I had come from um, and teaching women that they were less and that so many of, we, we hear stories all the time of, of pastors in the church uh, abusing women and covering it up or children. Right. And, and why is this so prominent? Aren't we supposed to be better than this? And, and, and it really boils down to um, power differentials. And so um, feminism, I know has gotten a bad rap, but if you read the dictionary definition, it's simply equality between men and women. Mm-hmm. And I felt through reading of scripture, Jesus was a true feminist. And I also feel like that's the answer to prevent so much violence against women. So that's a really long answer to say (laughs) that I discovered feminism's holy power and felt like God told me to go get my people. And so my goal is to reclaim Christianity or sorry, reclaim feminism for Christianity because, um, yeah, we'll stop. Like the church will become much more the image it should be when all people are represented and more so um, there won't be as much abuse and, and, and harm that is, is caused to women specifically. Wow. Well, I feel like just in hearing all of that, like I'm your people. <laughs> I'm like, <laughs> the Lord told you go get your people. I'm like, that's me. <laughs> Seriously. I, what a crazy story. My childhood was very similar to yours. I was an athlete and there were so many things I just didn't understand. And then when I became 10, I felt the call of God on my life to be a pastor. And I never, until I went to college, heard from anyone that would say differently. And that's when I had to really learn what the Bible said, because I was like, Lord, I felt like you called me like my Mm -hmm. entire life. And if you didn't, like, I'll submit to that, but like, it doesn't make sense to me. The character and nature I know of the God that I followed my whole life, he doesn't have an oppressive nature. And so mm-hmm. I began to read and research the word. And I'm like, wait a minute, we've twisted this to, you know, uh, to, to hold up these oppressive values and power structures. And we've done it not only with women, but we've done it with people of color as well mm-hmm. and gender and all these other things in our society. And ultimately the church isn't reflective of the kingdom of God until we can get these issues right, which hopefully, you know, the kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven before we actually, you know, I mean, like, I don't know if we'll ever get there, but I, it's so good for me to hear from people like you that are out there doing the work and, um, and seeing what the, what the bride of Christ should look like, you know, and I'm so grateful for that. Why did you choose a podcast to get that message out? Um, well, honestly, I, I mean, there was, it kind of just came to me one day, like, maybe I should do a podcast. And there are several reasons for that. Number one, um, I was kind of over blogging and it was kind of on its way out. I just felt like I was getting a lot of engagement from my blogs. But number two, um, I really saw this as opening the door for me to network with people who are like-minded because I think it's really easy for people, um, for me specifically at that point in my life, I felt very isolated in my beliefs. I didn't know many Christian feminists. I read about them in books, but I felt kind of isolated in that I didn't have access to talk about these people. And I was like, well, if I have a podcast, 
you know, then I have an excuse to talk to them. So I started the podcast because number one, I am not an expert in all like, like you mentioned, I have so many experts on, I have uh, domestic violence experts. I have lawyers, I have clergy people. I have uh, like all of these people who are studied what they're talking about for years and years and years and are just experts in their field. And simply, there's no way I can um, have that breadth of knowledge on my own. Um, And so for me, I was hungry for the answers or the work that they were doing. And I also wanted other people to have access to it. And so I started the podcast kind of to, um, for me, not to feel alone, but also to create an audience where they didn't feel alone. And then Mm -hmm. I also started a Facebook group to go along with it. And so um, I just, and what I hear over and over again is like, you make me feel less alone because um, obviously in the context, many of us have come from, we, um, I've been told I'm going to hell because I'm a feminist. Oh, yeah. I, I've, been, I've been told the most vile, hateful things from Christians. And I think a lot of us are afraid to speak out um, because of that, because we know that our whole like for me, speaking out was really hard um, coming out as, you know, quote unquote feminist, because my whole life was the church. My whole community was the church. All of my friends were the church. And I knew how they treated people who, um, came, you know, had a different belief. We saw what happened to Jen Hatmaker and Rob right. Bell and all these other people just being torn from the shelves and hated and just right. the vitriol that was directed at them. We, I mean, I wasn't unaware of what would happen should I speak out, but there was a point where truth was more important than acceptance and truth went out. And so, yeah, but anyway, so that's why the podcast is, is I I don't want people to feel alone because you're not. That's so good. And I think just your comments about kind of the truth has to become more important, you know, that we have to speak out. And I think today in American culture and our political culture, I mean, like, we really have people who everywhere from leading nonprofits all the way to, hey, I just believe in a better world, you know, who are choosing to speak truth into situations that seem, you know, very violent almost, you know, verbally violent, emotionally violent. I mean, we're really in a very abusive time where people are using their words and their social media platforms to really hurt people. I'm curious, like, and I've seen, I've been in your, your uh, faith and feminist group and I've seen some comments. I know a lot of the people in there are definitely um, on board, but I've also seen some of you know, the screenshots that people have shown of other people speaking just horrible things about what you're doing. How do you kind of take care of yourself and like, you know, take care of your soul in the midst of that extreme negativity and knowing that you're, you're going to get pushback and resistance right from, you know, the get go, right? When you open your mouth, you already have a line of people who are against you. How do you take care of yourself in the midst of that? Um, so, I mean, I'd be lying to say, I mean, it, of course there's like varying degrees, you know, there's like some random person on the internet, which I get. And there's also family members where, um, I've, I've gone through, my husband and I have gone through a lot of family turmoil because of our beliefs. Yeah. Um, very, very painful things have been said to us. Um, and it, you know, we've had to cancel plans for holiday get togethers. It's, it's been, um, 
Yeah, it's been really hard. And I actually talk about that a lot in my book because I think it's such a key part to learning your voice is learning how to survive these. Yeah. Um, and so I'm going to just share one experience I had with God and, and a hurtful experience just to kind of show how God has shown up in these moments. And then I'll give you some tools um, that I use okay. <laughs> to stay mentally healthy. Um, okay, so um, I, I just turned 32. Um, but when I was just turning 30, um, it was during the Kavanaugh hearings and as one might expect, I believe Dr. Ford, not only because I believe women, um, but more so because the way she describes her sexual assault is what I had heard described to me a dozen times from different women. And I'm a survivor of sexual assault. I have been working with survivors, my you know, most of my adult life. And um, yeah, so I, I was just beginning to learn my voice then. And I decided to um, write a blog about how a church, the church can do better at responding to um, survivors of sexual violence. And um, yeah, the blog went out, it caused a lot of turmoil with my, my in-laws. But more than that, so I released it right before my birthday. And then I was really struggling with it because the day before my birthday, my husband and I had decided to cancel uh, our flights back home to his parents for Thanksgiving. Mm -hmm. And so I was, I was really struggling. And so I remember going to the um, a coffee shop and sitting down and talking to God and just praying, like, why is this so hard? Like, why is my heart broken? We had been crying a lot in the last week. And I got a message from a friend. And I assumed it was a birthday message because it was my birthday <laughs> and I opened it and it was a, a lengthy, a very lengthy message about how essentially she believed that I had because of my support for Dr. Ford um, was going against God and that she couldn't support me anymore because I was the quote unquote liberal agenda. Wow. And I was devastated. I don't know how to describe how painful that was. This was a very good friend of mine. Mm-hmm. Um, and I just started sobbing. And this is on top of, you know, a lot of turmoil that had been going on with my family. And it was my birthday of all days. And mm-hmm. I cr- quickly gathered my stuff up and went to the car. And I, I was crying so hard, I realized I couldn't drive. Like, I couldn't see and I just sat in my car crying and crying and crying. And pretty soon after I sat in the car, I heard a knock on my window. And I looked up and it was this lady. I had no idea who she was. Um, but I didn't know what she wanted, but there was something in me. I was like, I need, I, I should try and see what she wants. And yeah. so I like look around the car and like look for something to clean up myself. And I can't find any tissues or anything. And I can't stop crying either. And so I eventually just white like snot and stuff on my dress and I just felt compelled to get out of the car and I get out of the car and I opened my mouth to talk to her and I just started like a sob all that came out was a sob and she just pulled me into a bear hug and she just prayed over me and she said I'm not gonna let you leave until you know how loved you are and she just prayed that over me again and again and again and it was such a profound moment because in the span of, you know, half an hour, I had one of my dear friends reject me in the name of the Christian God. 
And I, but God sent, I think himself in the form of this woman to remind me that I wasn't alone and that God saw me and that God was with me. And I don't know how long I cried in that parking lot with that woman. Probably a while I've got snot and mascara all over her shirt. Um, But that was a moment I just felt so like, I'm not alone. God is with me. This is what God has called me to do. Um, And it was such a crazy moment. And so I keep going back to that. I, I keep going back to how I've seen God show up my experiences with these women. Um, I, I know deep in my bones that this is what I was made for. I was made to advocate for women. I was made to, uh, kind of be a warrior for them to make their, to do what I could to lend my voice to break um, unjust systems. Yeah. And so I, yeah, I still get a lot of pushback. I get some really nasty comments. I get some from my family, even from friends. Like, like I just got another one today saying, do you still consider yourself a Christian? Yeah. Um, so the answer is I spend a lot of time with God. <laughs> I yeah. pray a lot and I go back and I say, God, remind me why I'm doing this. And mm-hmm. he always tells me to remember all of the girls around the world. I don't, re- I don't remember my critics. I remember who needs my voice and I speak up because of them. Um, on top of that, I also go to therapy. Thank God. I love counseling and therapy. I, I, I don't think I could do this without my uh, therapist. She, gives me some really helpful tools to get through this. We do um, EMDR um, and yeah. I get tools to like, cause I, certain things will trigger me and I'll just feel like a complete failure. I feel a lot of shame. And when I get those triggers, I have a phrase that says I am seen and I'm loved by God. And I sit in that and repeat that mantra. And honestly, it, it, it it helps a lot, but I think a lot of it is learning to, I, I need to listen to my body. And when I start to feel those emotions, I just stop and I pay attention to them because part of this work, if I'm going to be effective at all, is taking care of my mental health. Mm-hmm. Um, so I hope that answers your question. I know yeah, that was another sure. long answer. <laughs> oh my God, it's so good. I mean, spending time with the Lord, having a therapist. Yeah. I mean, there's so many good things, um, you know, paying attention to your body. Mm-hmm. I think those are really good things, especially right now. Like I'm really, you know, I'm, I'm concerned. My hope is, you know, I'm looking ahead and I'm seeing all these people who are standing up and using their voice like they've never used it before. And I, I'm, hoping that that is going to be sustainable in the long run. Because at the end of the day, um, if we are not in tune with our bodies, if we're not spending time with the Lord, if we're not in therapy, if we're not journaling, if we're not self-reflecting, we're going to be responding in ways that are unhealthy to our own, um, you know, long-term sustainability. And I, you know, I, I think we're going to see advocates that are dropping out like right and left due to all kinds of things, whether it's moving to an Island, you know, to eat coconuts the rest of your life and just giving everybody the finger or, um, whether it's suicide or self-harm or all these other things that are unhealthy, whether it's uh, broken relationships and broken families. Like I, I think that we as advocates have to get to this place to where we are really caring 
for not only the message that we're giving, but also the message giver. And, you know, long term, if I'm not caring for myself, my message means nothing because there's no one to sustain that message, you know? And so um, I love that. Those are really practical tips. And I think your story is like something that really could resonate with a lot of people. I know myself included. Um, so tell us, what's your book about? <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, you probably heard, I mean, a lot of the things I talked about is, is what's in the book. Um, but obviously, so it's just a memoir. Like I said, I was a missionary that worked with um, exploited and oppressed women for several years. And it's me dismantling white saviorism in myself. It's me learning to listen to their stories and let them change me. I think so often Christians and and in my context, will listen to someone's pain and then just try and band-aid it. Like, here, like, let me just pray for you. Um, but for me, I had to go through a whole process of actually listening. Um, and when they're saying that systems are harming them to work to dismantle those systems. Um, and yeah, it's ultimately, there's a really juicy chapter. I'm really proud of it. Chapter 16. <laughs> I just turned in my final manuscript. Um, um, thank you. <laughs> uh, I don't know. This might be too good to like give away because it's like such a good chapter in my opinion. But basically, so um, there's the point where, you know, after that night I had with that woman who was taken by these angry drunk men. Um, there was uh, the, the, you know, the moment of revelation of how my, the gender roles that I had been taught um, were contributing to this issue of sex trafficking and contributing to um, powers and of abuse. And um, so, like I said, I had, I've talked to a lot of Johns in my time because um, they're in the bar and sometimes they want to know why I'm here um, and I don't look like, you know, the typical clientele and what I heard from them over and over again was that women here oftentimes in Southeast Asia women who are being bought and sold um are quote-unquote raised right and that women in the west are not um and that um they that they're like more they praise the men more and men are so unfairly attacked in the West. And so I would hear that a lot. And then I would read articles where there is a really um, horrible rape that happened, which many people have probably heard of. And in India, it, it made national news back in the mid, I think it was like 2013, um, maybe 2012, where a, a woman, uh, an Indian woman was gang raped on a, bu a public bus and raped to death. And they interviewed her rapist and they ask her, they ask them why they did it. And she said, well, because she was breaking, you know, her gender roles, good girls are supposed to be home at night. She was wearing jeans. Women shouldn't be wearing jeans. And so I raped wow. her to death. And that, that, that's what the rapist said. And that sounded a lot like what I was hearing from John's, like women who, um, I guess don't praise me and aren't subservient to me are bad. But these women who I pay for respect from, quote unquote respect, that's not respect, but right. who are subservient to me because I, they're dependent upon me because I've, I've bought them for the night. And then what was most disturbing is it also mirrored 
a lot of prominent evangelicals in the way they spoke. Uh, women should be, you know, at home submitting to their husbands. Right. Uh, they should be covered up at all times. And all of these language, like it all sounded similar. Like there might have been a nicer, like more, um, I guess, palatable uh, spin that the pastors put on it, but it was basically boiling down to the same thing. Women should be in home. They should be subservient to men and they should be covered up at all times. Oh. And that realization completely blew my mind. Um, <laughs> you know, it was helping me realize that my, my context, what I had grown up in was part of the problem. Why, why did they all think the same? Why did these men who are harming women think like the evangelical pastors that I'm hearing? Mm. Um, and so that's kind of like the, the, the thesis yeah. of my book. <laughs> it's like that realization of, hey, like we really need to examine the ginger rolls and scripts that were given in the church because I think there are real um, terrible effects that come from them and, and right. it might not be completely directly tied. Um, I think I'd have a hard time proving, you know, it's because this kid was told as a child in church that uh, he was powerful, that he went and did that. I, I, I think I would have trouble proving that individually, but I think their words speak for enough. Why do they sound the same? Sure. Like, shouldn't we examine that? Shouldn't we examine the gender roles and power dynamics that we have? Um, yeah. And so it's basically a story of me working with women, working on myself, um, growing up and realizing that my hands were dirty from, yeah. from what was happening to these women and, and what we can do as if we, you know, proclaim to care for these women or care for women in general, half the planet. Yeah. yeah then we need, we, need to, we need to change a lot of the things about the scripts we're giving um, mm. about gender roles. And so, yeah, that's the book. It's called that's Women so Rising. I'm like on pre-order. I'm going to get like, <laughs> so excited about this. And I'm sure everyone listening are equally passionate about, you know, just learning all these things and being an advocate for, um, you know, women and equality and egalitarianism. It, it's just so good. So thank you for sharing. One last question before we head out. If someone is listening, maybe for the first time or maybe not, and they're kind of going, wow, I'm really moved by this idea that feminism is about equality. It's not about gaining power over men or whatever other kind of myths or random ideas or um, definitions that people have given it in the past. Do you have any recommendations for books or authors or podcasts that is someone who wants to dig deeper into this idea of what evangelical femininity has done? What are some resources that you have loved in your process of learning? So I love, do you know Carolyn Custis James? Mm -hmm. Okay, so she has two really good books on this. One is called Half the Church. Um, and the other one is called Maelstrom. And those, both of those books I highly recommend. In fact, Carolyn is writing the forward for my book. So that's exciting. Um, so those are some very biblically, I, if you're looking specifically for like the, the biblical basis, she's a really good resource. And um, of course there's um, Sarah Bessie, Jesus Feminist. Um, there's Christians for Biblical Equality, which is I'm an organization that obviously <laughs> fights for yeah. biblical equality. Yeah. There's the Junior Project. I write for a publication called Azer Rising. So 
that's something I do. Um, of course, my podcast, Faith and Feminism, that's the whole goal, historically <laughs> in feminism for the Christian church, so that might be a good resource. But yeah, there's there's a lot of people doing out, out doing this work. And, and you don't even need to listen to my podcast, but if you look at who I have on, they probably have really good resources for you too. So if you just like look at, at um, yeah. who I'm interviewing. So just recently I interviewed, this is not specifically um, faith related, but I interviewed a woman about um, violence in the lives of black women and kind of this dual consciousness that they have to maintain mm-hmm. of being um, in danger because of their race, but then also because they're a woman and, and having, uh, you know, the having to balance that and then feeling like they need to protect their partners, even if they're causing harm to them from the police, because the police can also be violent. And so anyways, so that wasn't specifically related to like the faith block, but there's just a lot of experts. Like I say, I'm not the expert in a lot of these areas, but um, they are. And if you just like, there's a long list of women that have come on. Yeah. uh, We're doing good work. So That's awesome. Thank you so much, Megan, for being on. I could seriously talk to you forever. I feel like you're like a kindred spirit. It's so good to have you on. And I'm so glad that this audience gets an opportunity to be introduced to you today. So thank you. Yeah, thank you. Oh my gosh, wasn't that so good? I'm heading over now to Faith and Feminism Podcast and going to check out some of her latest episodes. And I hope that you do too. It is so encouraging and educational and inspiring to be able to be among like-minded individuals who are trying to do better and create a bigger social impact in our world. So I am so grateful for today's episode as I know you are too. If you loved today's episode, please make sure to hit subscribe so you get updates on all our future podcasts, as well as leave a little review. You never know who might want to know if this is a good podcast to check out or not. And don't forget, you can head over to Facebook and find me, Shiloh Kashima, and give me any ideas you have for this podcast. If you'd like to hear from someone, if you have an idea for a presenter or possibly a topic you'd like for me to cover, I would love to hear from you. Thank you guys so much for listening today. I cannot wait to talk to you next time.